Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome, Isham Nation, to the Process This podcast. This is episode 21. It's always good to be here with you. Today, we're starting off the show with the segment, What's On My Mind, followed by our featured guest, Julie Williamson, talking about the process publication by Isham. It's a great show, but before we get started, I wanted to spend some time talking about a few things. Every year at the Isham Annual Conference, Isham presents the award winners voted on by the members And those award winners, those recipients, are presented their awards on stage. Well, as you guessed it, those folks didn't have that opportunity this year, so I thought it would be nice to recognize those individuals and those groups on the show today. So the 2020 award winner for the CS Leadership goes to Jim Van Peterson. Now, forgive me, Jim, if I just butchered your name. I apologize, but congrats on the CS Leadership Award. Next, the Decontaminator of the Year Award goes to Denard Esnard. Congrats, Denard. And then last, the Technician Achievement Award goes to Cassie Hines. And congrats, Cassie. And congrats, all three of you, for those outstanding awards. And then next, we have the Chapter Awards. So the large chapter goes to Central Florida Association of Central Service. The Medium Chapter Award goes to Central California Chapter. And last but certainly not least, Small Chapter Award goes to Kansas Society for Healthcare Central Service Professionals. Well, congrats to all the chapters, congrats to all the individuals, and thank you for all the hard work that you put in every year. All right, next, Hisham has some new board members and directors that were elected, and again, would have been properly introduced at the annual conference So in case you haven't heard of them, I'm going to go ahead and introduce these folks. Uh, First, we have, again, our President Brian Reynolds and President-elect Tanya Lewis. Now, both of these folks, uh, you can get to know just a little bit better by listening to the podcast episode 16 and episode 19. Again, both of those folks are a pleasure to talk to. I suggest you go back and listen to those if you haven't already. Now, your other new directors are Lori Durrigan, Secretary and Treasurer, Monique Jelks, Director, Ann Kobayashi, Director, Jan Prudent, Director. Now, these new members will be joining the existing board members of Anthony Bottom, Patricia Taylor, and Marjorie Wall. So, congrats to all of you. Thank all of you for serving Isham on the Board of Directors. And then last, But not least, I wanted to draw your attention to a scholarship opportunity, the Betty Hanna Scholarship. The Isham Foundation established a new scholarship on behalf of the former executive director, Betty Hanna, a true pioneer in the profession who served as executive director for 48 years and strongly encouraged individuals to continue their education and pursue professional advancement opportunities. Now, this scholarship provides $2,000 in educational assistance to a student seeking to pursue a secondary or graduate degree in the healthcare field. Now, the 2020 scholarship opportunity is open and complete applications must be submitted by 12 p.m. Central Standard Time 
on September 15th, 2020. So for more information about this scholarship, you can look on the isham.org website. Let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and get into what's on my mind. In today's segment, we're going to look at the July-August edition of Process Magazine, specifically in the column Technicians Exchange. Now, the article we're going to look at is In Sterile Processing and Beyond, COVID-19 Taught Us Many Lessons. Now, I'm going to do something I normally don't do. I'm going to read this article in its entirety. Normally, I will read a lesson plan and just kind of point out the highlights of the lesson plan so that you can go read it yourself and form your own opinions. Uh, but today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the entire article. I thought this was a great article, and this is authored by Tony Thurman, your uh, past president. So here we go. Let's go ahead and get into this. From February 2020 to current, many of us, if not most, uh, have taken on what many could consider to be our most difficult challenge in our healthcare career. Things have changed tremendously, and our valued personnel and professional lives have taken a detour to a new way of living and surviving. The COVID-19 pandemic has hit with an impact that many are saying will continue to affect the way we live moving forward. When events such as this happens, we often look back on history to see how the event changed society or how much of a financial impact it caused. We often look back and ask ourselves, what did we learn from this crisis? Many sterile processing experts have been busy developing and delivering webinars, virtual meetings, virtual conferences, and articles about how to manage ourselves and our teams throughout this crisis. Many have spoken about how to prepare for the backup surgical procedures that will be on the schedule again very soon, and how we can serve other areas of the facility. This advice on staying sharp and focused has been helpful during the current challenging times and will be as well during the weeks and months ahead. I would like to point out, however, that as sterile processing professionals, we are always ready for the unexpected. Our daily work lives include continued focus of the unexpected turnaround of a critical tray or the unexpected sharp found in an instrument pan. Our keen sense of the environment around us helps keep us prepared for the next obstacle. I'm so impressed when I walk around the department and see the work the team completes each day and to hear the stories of how they overcome obstacles. I know I'm not alone in this positive observation and experience. To build our instincts and beliefs in our department system and our healthcare delivery system as a whole, we must all come to one conclusion, that we must learn from our experiences if we are to move forward effectively today, tomorrow, and in the future. Some key points stood out to me over the course of this pandemic. I consider these valuable lessons that we can all use to stay effective in our roles and better prepare for the next challenge, which is sure to come. Our opinions shape our reality. I was always taught not to speak about politics and religion during work-related conversations. I do, however, now see that politics can serve as a learning experience for all of us. Regardless of our political affiliation, we can agree that the information shared and our interpretation of that information can, and often does, differ. 
We all form an opinion based on our interpretation of information, and then that forms a belief of the situation at hand. Today there are many comments, photos, and beliefs being shared via social media, which is helping shape others' beliefs and perspectives, regardless of whether the information is rooted in fact or science. I've seen many times how some people dismiss the severity of the virus and shun the science and advice and concerns of medical experts. If these naysayers could walk the halls and see the intensive care units filled with COVID-19 patients, many of whom are on ventilators with multiple intravenous lines running and needing teams of clinicians to assist their care, they may have a different viewpoint. If they could see the struggle to obtain and secure orders of personal protective equipment and the necessary drugs to take care of these patients, it would be an eye-opener. One thing the vast majority of healthcare professionals can agree on, regardless of our political learnings, is that this virus is real, indiscriminating, and challenging. Some of us have lost colleagues and loved ones, and we have all lost people within our communities. History repeats itself. In 1918, just over a hundred years ago, the world experienced the Spanish flu pandemic, where it was estimated that over 20 million people died from the virus worldwide. There were no vaccines to prevent it and only limited drugs to help fight the infection. Citizens were ordered to wear masks and advised not to shake hands or hug, and there were regulations against public spitting. As the virus swept across the United States and other countries, many downplayed the effect it would have. Learning from this current pandemic and applying the knowledge and the innovative ways will help us be better prepared for the future unexpected situations. Out of a crisis comes great ideas. When a crisis arises, we face many challenges and difficulties that then often create additional obstacles. At the Christ Hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio, one of our anesthesiologists noticed that there was a high risk for aerosol exposure while intubating COVID-19 patients, so he sought a way to eliminate the risk. He developed an intubation box, a precisely designed plexiglass box that allows intubation to take place via openings where hands and tubings are passed through without the risk of aerosolization and cross-contamination. This was a unique and creative design that was driven by the need to improve safety. This begs the question, what else can we do or develop to create a safer environment? Healthcare is a business. We do not always look at healthcare as a business, but it certainly is. Some of healthcare's organization's biggest challenges during this pandemic have been to procure the necessary supplies, making payroll for employees, paying higher costs for drugs needed to fight the virus, evolving and expanding cleaning processes, and safely and effectively managing PPE and other essential supplies. Hospitals also had to postpone elective procedures, which significantly impacted their bottom line. To deal with these issues, many executive teams were forced to cut back in numerous ways, which included slashing employee hours, furloughing staff or eliminating positions altogether, and repositioning some healthcare professionals to assume new roles in areas where they normally do not work. Several rural hospitals had to cease operations altogether due to the pandemic's financial toll. 
in time, we will see surgery schedules increase in volume, which will increase revenue and hopefully bring back employees and have them work in their normal capacity. There is a mental effect. One of the biggest impacts of the pandemic that may increase over time is the mental effect it will have on healthcare workers. It has been recognized by some early studies in China, Italy, and the US that healthcare workers have shown signs of depression, anxiety, insomnia, and stress. Many workers have expressed their fear of possibly getting the virus and passing it to family or friends. Many have expressed their emotions of seeing so many people die from the virus and also seeing how many patients die without loved ones at their bedside. During this time, many nursing staff were with the patients during their time of death. Understandably, it is an experience that can have lingering mental and health effects. Many healthcare workers have experienced concern and frustration over the apparent lack of preparedness and shortages of PPE and other critical equipment and supplies. Some workers may ultimately decide that working in healthcare environment is no longer what they wish to do because of the risk. Our department lost four sterile processing technicians because they decided that the risks were too high for them to continue working in the field. And other departments are experiencing the same. So in conclusion, without question, COVID-19 has changed our lives significantly. But we can and should learn a great deal from this experience and hopefully come out better as a result. Through it all, we as sterile processing professionals know that our patients, whether surgical or non-surgical, are still critical to the success of the organization. Whatever ailments bring them to us, we must always be ready to support their care. We have always been reliable and trustworthy. We have always supported our customers and patients, and we have proven with this pandemic that we are willing to step out of our traditional roles and support them in any way we can. After all we have experienced over the past several months, I am confident we will be better prepared for whatever lies ahead. When we reflect on all of our lessons learned, many of them difficult, all of them valuable, we will help build an even stronger willingness to support our teams, our colleagues, and our communities and continue to demonstrate just how essential sterile processing is to quality patient care. We will continue doing a great job and learning valuable lessons that we will carry with us and build upon now and in the immediate and distant future. Today, tomorrow, and always it is with my hope that you will stay safe and know how much your contributions are needed and appreciated. So again, this is really just a great article and a great mindset. We have to take in stride this pandemic. We have to learn the lessons, uh, use those experiences to better ourselves, better our department, and use those to be better at the patient care we give. With that, that is gonna do it for this segment of what's on my mind. Ishim Nation, our guest speaker today is Julie Williamson. Now, Julie is the Director of Publications at Isham. So welcome to the show, Julie. Well, thank you, Julie, again for joining us on this Isham process this podcast. 
Uh, so let's go ahead and get started. Can you tell us about uh, your background and your role with Hisham? Yep, well, I'll start with, um, I graduated in 1996 with a degree in journalism. I went to Walter Cronkite School of Journalism um, from Arizona State. And from there, I promptly moved to Chicago and um, landed my first writing job, which was healthcare purchasing news. So I was associate editor there. And um, I think at that time, I didn't even know um, the magnitude of that job until many, many years later. Um, and when I got started, um, I immediately felt drawn to the central service and OR related topics. And my boss at the time, I think he was more eager to write the materials management side. Um, and I was really kind of pitched and given those CS and OR related articles. So um, I got kind of immersed in that and really felt drawn to it. And um, I attended my first issue uh, conference, I believe it was in Indianapolis in maybe 1996. And that's when I met all of the Isham folks and, and started writing the viewpoint column. I would edit and write some of those. Um, so it, it was kind of a funny thing. I, I became kind of slightly involved with Isham without even really working for Isham yet at that mm -hmm. time. Um, then in 1999, I was actually brought on by Betty Hanna, um, our executive director at that time, hired me to be the editor. So that was at the end of 99. So that's almost 20 years ago. So oh, wow. I'm showing my age. That's hard <laughs> hard to be 20 years ago when I'm only 29, right? There you go. <laughs> um, so from there it grew. I started um, just working as editor. I would do various uh, random writings, editings, um, PR-related things, um, and then it became a full-time job many, many moons ago as well. So uh, I'm now a communications director and the senior editor, and I'm in charge of all the publications and things like that. So basically anything involved with writing and uh, media, that usually gets gets pushed over to me. So there's been tremendous growth in the Isham publication process, which formerly Communique in the past years. Uh, that wouldn't have happened without the hard work. Uh, that you put in. Um, can you tell our listeners about the growth of the process in these recent years? Yeah, it definitely takes a lot of uh, hard work, but it, it's not something that I can claim all my own. It's definitely a team effort. There's a lot of us um, involved in that. But um, yeah, years ago, when it was just, you know, communicating early on when I got started, it was just a very small publication. Um, it, it was more than a newsletter, but nowhere near to the magnitude that we are now with, with Process Magazine. You know, today we have, well, I'd say back then we were well under 100 pages, you know, 80 something pages. And now we're over 100 and we're 156 on the last two issues. Um, so we have grown immensely. We now have four lesson plans in there. We have hot topics articles, news pieces, um, other authored articles that, that fall under various categories, such as success stories and, and things like that. So it's, it's really getting meatier. So we really went from a small, just a little publication to what is, kind of approaching more of a journal type publication. So I'm really proud of, of the way that this magazine has really shaped and developed over the years. And um, yeah, I, I really hope that we don't grow too much more though, because I think no one will have time to do their jobs because 156 pages <laughs> is a big job. Um, it's also a, a lot of reading, but um, I think if anyone does read it, they'll hopefully get a lot of good information that can help them on the job. Yeah, and I know from personal experience that many central service sterile processing professionals use the process as their connection to the industry. Many professionals get their information and updates from it. Would you share a little bit about what it takes to get an issue of process out to our listeners? Yes, it's really a, an ongoing process. So um, I, we keep using 
the word process for the magazine process. So that's um, kind of unintentional. But um, every issue that go- goes out, you know, once that's off, you don't get a whole lot of breathing room before you have to jump back in. So there's always a lot of research that goes into it, um, a lot of planning and development. Um, I'm working with contributing authors and editors, um, or contributing authors, uh, rather, and uh, we've got lesson plans that come in. They they need to be edited and formatted. We've got um, hot topics articles that I'm writing and working on. Um, all of these things need a lot of a uh, lot of attention and a lot of attention to detail. So that's I, I think the biggest thing that as a journalist, you know, I think people don't really realize um, that I'm not a CS person. I'm a journalist who's written about CS for a really long time. So I have a, I think a good feel and a really strong appreciation for it. But you know, I'm not the experts that um, all of our readers are. So this does involve a lot of research, a lot of true journalistic um, and reporting skills on the back end, interviewing. Um, reading a lot of journals, um, you know, just a, a lot of follow-up. So there's a, a great deal of, of planning that goes into this. Um, obviously, there's a, a whole other layer on the advertising side um, that, that you know, is a different, <laughs> that's a different podcast. A different animal. But again, you know, it's, it, there is a lot, there's a lot of balls in the air and a lot of players in the, in the game. Our listeners may not be aware that Isham has presence in other publications. Which publications do you regularly provide information for? We do uh, monthly columns in Healthcare Purchasing News and OR Today. So um, the HPN, the Healthcare Purchasing News, that has been around for as long as I've been around um, with Isham. So uh, when I was working for Healthcare Purchasing News, that column was there in 1996 and well before that. So I don't, I don't know when that agreement came on, but that, that has been a long, long-standing um, magazine presence there. So healthcare purchasing news has always been a very strong advocate and supporter of Isham. Um, so I, every month um, in my role with Isham, I will uh, write articles for that column and also for OR Today. So um, this year we began writing monthly articles for OR Today as well. So every issue of HPN and, and OR Today, you can open that up and see an Isham, Isham column article. Sometimes, most of the time they're written by me, but there are other times when, uh, like Sue Clasic, you know, somebody else has written a, a really great article. Joe Colacci um, may have something really um, great to update on the legislative front, and I can include some of those in there. I think we've done some articles with Rose CV lately as well. So if it's something that um, someone else has written I, and would be a good fit for that, we'll consider running that too. We also do some intermittent um, publishings in infection control today, um, and we've also been in, in some AORN Journal and some other journals and um, Same Day Surgery has reached out to us. So we, we actually, whether we do a full-blown article or an actual, you know, standing column, um, so we also do um, contributions. So quotes, um, just other content and material for a lot of other publications. So we reached out to a lot. And last question. What would you say to somebody who wanted to get involved in writing for the process? I would say you just made my day. <laughs> so we're always looking for authors. Um, we're always looking for new new voices, new names. So if you have an interest in writing at all, um, if you have something really interesting or fascinating that's happened in your department that you'd like to share, um, please pitch it to me. I'm at julie at isham.org. It's pretty go. easy. So just reach out to me. Uh, let me know what you're working on. Let me, you know, pitch me your idea. If, uh, if you want to write it, that's great. If you also have a really interesting idea and really don't love writing, but you still would like to get your department or uh, facility mentioned in some sort of positive way, 
reach out to me on that too. I can also work with you and I'd be happy to do the reporting on that and just get you guys quoted and learn more about your process. Well, great. Well, there you have it, Isham Nation. So if you're interested in writing, if you want to be a part of the process, reach out to Julie. Uh, So thank you, Julie, for your insight uh, in the publication world here at Isham. Thanks, John. My pleasure. Isham Nation, episode 21 is in the books. Thanks for listening to the show. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code PROCESS. Again, the code for this episode is PROCESS. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode, always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode is on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, Isham Nation, and we'll see you next time.